Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Choose Inclusion podcast. I'm Yubi. I'm here with Nina and Mike, as always. Hello, team. Hey, everyone. Hey, welcome back. And we are kicking off another segment of our uh, Black Voices Matter series here. And we have a really, really great guest today. Her name is Candace Geis. Um, she's a wife and a mother and an attorney background in, 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 you know, she went to school to be an attorney. She's an entrepreneur, a beauty and lifestyle writer. Um, and she started this really amazing nonprofit called More Than Pretty, which we're going to talk about. So, um, but first and foremost, Candice, welcome to Choose Inclusion. And how are you? Thank you so much. I'm doing good. Look, I survived the hurricane. It's beautiful outside today. And so I have no major complaints. Well, yeah, I mean, how that, that's an interesting How worried do you get every hurricane season? Like, is, does it just spike for everybody that 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 fear of like the unknown? Yeah, because you never can, you know, tell how things are going to turn out. For me, I'm in northeast Louisiana. And so when people think about hurricanes, they're normally thinking about uh, south Louisiana, where Baton Rouge and New Orleans are, and with just cause, because those areas are um, usually most impacted. But uh, one thing that we have learned, uh, I think definitely starting in 2006 and forward or 2005 and forward, is that... um, you know, we get impacted as well in North Louisiana from rain, wind, flooding, all types of things. So you just never know. Sometimes it, it could pass you by and other times, it, you know, it could be extreme uh, devastation. And so um, I'm thankful that for this, for Hurricane Laura, we walked away um, with minimum impact to, you know, my personal home. Um, but for everyone else that was highly impacted, I'm definitely sending prayers up for them, especially, you know, the Lake Charles area was hugely impacted this, this go round. And so, um, just, you know, counting my blessings and praying for everyone else here who was impacted tremendously by the hurricane. Well, and you, so you've, um, I want to talk a little bit first about how you ended up in Monroe. Can you talk a little bit about sort of your journey um, and how you ended up in, I guess, maybe back in Louisiana? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was born in, born in Los Angeles, raised in Louisiana um, after my mom and dad split. Uh, my mom's side of the family was originally from Louisiana. And so we all kind of migrated back. Uh, to Monroe, which was supposed to be for a few years, <laughs> and it's now been <laughs> uh, nearly two decades, I would say, probably, since we've been here. Um, and then I moved away um, for law school and my master's degree, so I moved down to Baton Rouge for about five or six years and uh, moved back home for a career opportunity with a company called CenturyLink, which is now you know, a Fortune 100 company. But at the time when I was growing up here, it was just like a small telco company. So seeing the development for that has been amazing. Um, then moved away again because I got married and my husband is a football coach. And so we were at University of Georgia for his job. And uh, my job was gracious enough to let me work remotely. 
So moved there for about two years. And then he got offered an opportunity to coach football here at in our hometown of uh, Monroe at the University of Louisiana Monroe. And so we're back. So the universe definitely intends for me to be <laughs> connected to Monroe. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, well it's, it is. It's, oh, go ahead, Mike. Oh no, you're you're fine, Yubaldo. Uh, I'm uh, I'm just as eager to to talk to you, Candice. I uh, so appreciated our conversation, uh, you know, to prep for this particular interview and uh, kind of uh, piggybacking on on Ubaldo's, uh journey with you. I remember you talking about how. Uh, you know, you being uh, a black girl from uh, Los Angeles going to the South uh, was quite the uh, kind of eye-opening experience for you. I was I was hoping you could kind of expand on that a little bit for us. Yeah, so there's this level of differentness. I think when you're when you are exposed to different um, cultures um, or different geographic locations, and so. For me, although I don't have a strong recollection recollection of my time spent in Los Angeles, I do think that that flavor uh, was really uh, predominant in the lifestyle and the way that my mom and my family and my dad all carried themselves. And so I think that trickled down into me and who I am as a person. So moving here, um, just how I you know, spoke was an issue because it wasn't the same as maybe necessarily the kids I went to school with, how I dressed was an issue because it wasn't the same as the kids I went to school with. And so it was really tough, um, you know, as I came into myself, because there was always these, there was always this feeling that I did not belong, didn't necessarily belong as it related to, you know, um, my white counterparts in schools. And then definitely didn't feel like I fit as it related to the kids that um, looked like me either. And so that's an interesting dynamic that I don't think people get into enough or talk about enough is, um, you know, how diversity affects you even in your own, um, as it relates to your own ethnicity or how you identify. Um, and so that was something that I had to kind of grow into and kind of learn to be okay with uh, who I was, even if it was, you know, some level of differentness that wasn't understood by the people that I was in school with. Yeah. And so like when you started, so you went to a historically black college or university, HBCU, right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, that, that experience, you know, you, you know, you came in from Los Angeles, you have your experience growing up in Louisiana, and now you're at an HBCU. What was, what was that like for you? What did you end up learning from, from that and being around people? from the black community all across the country. So to take a step back, I, I actually did my undergraduate at University of Louisiana Monroe, which was which is, you know, a predominantly white um, institution. And and then um, and, and let's just say I went there during a time when, um, you know, graduated in 08. So during the time when um, Obama was coming into the presidency, um, and having the opportunity to do some cool internships in DC. And so my first experience with HBCU actually happened during a congressional internship um, in DC. I was working for a local, I was working for a congressman, a Louisiana congressman there, and made some connections with some girls who went to Howard University. And I will say this, um, there's a stigma attached to historically Black 
uh, colleges and universities that should not be there. Um, and so for me, up the street from ULM is Grambling. And I remember um, listening or hearing conversations with other people about uh, kind of just kind of looking their nose down at HBCUs and feeling this superiority because of the opportunity to go to predominantly white institutions. Um, and so going to Howard was an excellent opportunity for me to see these people who were so diverse in their backgrounds. So there might be highfalutin people who come from years and years and decades of money and, you know, that. And then also people who were pulling themselves up by their bootstraps, uh, people who had come to Howard from Africa and were having their first uh, real experience being around Black people or African-American people, because there is a difference as it relates to that and hearing their stories about how, you know, um, I remember being in shock that this one guy was talking about how um, Howard changed his life because he had heard or from what he was seeing on the TV, he thought all African-American people were lazy and violent and these different things and how it changed his life. Um, and then seeing people who were models and all these different things, it just changed my world. Um, so I go back to ULM and I graduate and then I had the opportunity to go to Southern. And that is when I really came into the knowledge of uh, how spectacular it is to be an African-American. Because I think growing up, you know, and we kind of had the conversation offline about how um, from from me, particularly, my parents put a lot of emphasis on wanting to provide a better lifestyle for us. And so providing a better lifestyle meant that we moved into predominantly white neighborhoods. We went to predominantly white schools. Um, and subconsciously, I kind of developed this thought process that better meant was associated with whiteness. And so without even knowing it, a, a huge part of who I was was someone who was big on um code switching, someone who felt like I had to minimize my Blackness to really be accepted into certain uh, circles or groups or to see myself progress as it relates to my career. And so when you look at my experience at Southern, what I saw was sitting in a room with people who some had dreads and wore baggy clothes. Others were, you know, uh, had straight hair. Other people had afros. Everybody just looked different, all these different hues in one space, but the level of intelligence and just being submerged in this culture of people who were not um, growing in spite of their Blackness, but who were growing because of it. And I think it was the first eye-opening time for me that I really realized that it was okay to be Black, that you could be successful and be comfortable in your own skin, right? That I didn't have to change who I was to be widely accepted. And that it's okay that, you know, we all come from these different places and are different. So I think it ties back into Mike's question about, you know, having uh, Los Angeles influences and how that affected us. So going to HBCUs and you're meeting people from New York, you're meeting people from Nigeria, you're meeting people from, you know, Canada, all these different places and uh, just how their experiences are so different and how you can learn from that melting pot of experiences and, and be okay with being yourself. And then also um, learning more about your culture and your history. So one thing that I think we miss out on is when we, you know, in mainstream societies or um, as it relates to our learning, um, for me, 
everything I learned in the high school, elementary, and even at my experience at a PWI, which is um, acronym for predominantly white institution, um, centers on romanticizing American history. And so you don't really learn about yourself. You don't have a lot of conversations about the African-American experience and not just from the perspective of slavery, but from the the huge impact that African-Americans have made on building this country and um, their contributions from the perspective of being highly intelligent, highly innovative. And so, you know, getting that insight at HBCU was a game changer for me. Like I went from feeling like I had to straighten my hair before every interview to being like, look, my hair curls up when I wet it. And that is how I'm going into this interview. So amazing experience. I can't. And so people hear me talk a lot about Southern University, go Jags, because that is where I feel like um, I had my great awakening and really stepped into my power as an African-American woman. I think I just I think that's uh, just so amazing, and I like I I, I grew up um, luckily having a sort of a global perspective um, that that gave me the opportunity to get outside of like you've talked about you know where you where you grew up and and get to know all of these other different kinds of people and you know realize your place in the world because otherwise and I loved how you said this the last time we talked. Otherwise, you, you sort of live in ambiguity, right? Like, and I feel like mm-hmm. there's so many people who continue to live in ambiguity because they don't know, one, they don't know the history of their, their own, um, you know, where they came from and their own community of people, but they mm-hmm. also don't know where they fit in. Exactly. And that's yeah. such a, yeah, that, that piece is, I think there's more people than not who aren't as lucky as... Uh, you have been to gain that experience and sort of come out of that. Um, but how do you, how, how, uh, I don't know, what do you recommend to people who who find themselves in that position of ambiguity? Like what, what can they do? I think number one, um, you have to do some searching within yourself to understand uh, why you're programmed the way you're programmed. Right. And so I remember being like, wait, when I said that, did I sound too black <laughs> or, wait, uh, I don't want them to think that I'm ghetto. I'm like, where does that come from? Like, why do you associate your blackness with um, negative thoughts and perceptions and associate whiteness with being absolutely right and what you have to be to be accepted in this world? And so I think questioning that is a big deal. Um, And that's part of what I had the opportunity to do. And then number two, um, as a part of that questioning, really being intentional about researching and learning more about your culture, why we feel the way we feel about certain things. Um, You know, Googling who was the first black African-American, who was the first African-American, anything like lawyer, doctor, and just reading into that history and seeing how powerful it is uh, or even Googling, okay, Black African, Black or African-American inventors. Googling, you know, just different different uh, top, topics and, and building um, pride in yourself through an acknowledgement that part of what we think about ourselves is not the truth. But these people are African-Americans 
and they have made these huge impacts on um, society. Even Googling things like Black patriots. Like when I Googled, I, my mind was blown to learn more about um, the Revolutionary War and to know that African-Americans, well, not even at the time considered African-Americans because we weren't really America, but how they stepped in to fight for freedom that they didn't even have for themselves. So it's like America, learning those things helps you to realize that America is just as much ours as it is our white counterparts. Like what we have done to build this country through free labor, through innovations, through, uh, you know, cell phone, even the use of cell phones, all these different things has made a huge impact. And so to not um, take that lightly or to feel like you have to minimize yourself because who you are is enough. Um, and I think also, I always say, regardless of ethnicity, that everyone should have the experience of two things. Number one, going to a predominantly white institution, because you have to know how to, you know, how the world works in that way. But number two, going to a PW, uh, <laughs> HBCU. And number three, studying abroad. Um, because when you get out of your own backyard and you have the opportunity to see things from a global perspective, it changes you in a way that makes you better at everything. It makes you better at how you are as a parent, how you are as a wife, how you are um, in the corporate world, and then also um, just how you view yourself. Gives you a different type of confidence to be able to say, yeah, I spent the summer in Paris. (laughs) Yeah, I had the opportunity to go to Barcelona for a week. You know, (laughs) it's just something about it. I love it, uh, Candice. I, so I, um, when you're talking about, uh, you know, researching, uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about it in the book Blink a lot about, uh, you know, once you're aware of, um, you know, the implicit associations and that sort of thing when it comes to, you know, any subject, but, uh, once you're aware, then it's, it's educating yourself and, and understanding some of the amazing, uh, you know, black and African-American leaders, uh, not only here in the United States, uh, globally, and just doing that research. And one of my uh, favorite books, uh, Nelson Mandela's Long Walk to Freedom. And I um, love the book. It's an amazing journey and powerful leader. Um, so I love, I love that advice. I, what, at what point in your journey, again, going back to our pre-talk, what part of the journey, though, again, this this stuck with me as well, that started to shift your mindset when you met uh, the former Miss Louisiana who, again, have, I mean, former Miss Louisiana and just happened to be black. What what point of your journey was that? And can you ta- tell our listeners like how that affected you? Yes. Uh, at Faith Jenkins, she was the first African-American uh, Miss Louisiana um, for the America system. And I can't remember what grade it was. I feel like I was either in fourth or fifth grade. And she came and she talked to us about her experience and just believing in your dreams and how she had went out for this title multiple times and how she won it and just her story from beginning to end. And I remember just being um, engulfed in her story um, and just staring at her in amazement and just this thought that, oh my God, Black girls are pretty enough to be Miss Louisiana if they want to. And just how that opened my mind to dreaming dreams that I would have never otherwise dreamed, right? So without seeing, you know, when people say you have to see it to be it, I think that that's so true. And that is why 
um, diversity and inclusion matter so much because in a world where um, the things that are projected or what you see as beauty relates to, okay, every doll you're being, you, you're being given is a white doll with blonde hair and blue eyes or, um, you know, the people that you see making major changes don't look like you. It's tough to envision that you can do that on, for yourself. And so my experience with meeting Miss Louisiana um, just really opened my mind to the possibilities of who I could become and what I could do. And it really um, motivated me. I remember her leaving and me being like, okay, I, I've got to make something of myself so I can then have these type of conversations and be an inspiration to young women. Um, and so, yeah, and she, she went on to become a, a lawyer. She went to the same law school that I ended up enrolling in. Um, she then went on to do, she became a commentator for major news outlets. And so her journey and who she is has been so deeply ingrained in me that even when I think about it now, it's just like, that is crazy that her coming in, having a 30 minute talk with me impacted me at that age. And it stuck with me over the years to the person that I've become now. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Oh, no problem. Well, and I feel like that's, uh, I feel like all of this, you know, your, your history and, and what you've been doing has sort of led to, the more than pretty campaign. And um, like, I just, I love how it sort of all ties and flows into that. Is that, am I reading that right? <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely correct. Because, uh, you know, uh, we talked about earlier how somehow the universe wants me to, to remain connected to Monroe. Um, and I remember my mom, I graduated from law school, right? And I knew for a fact that um, I wanted to be in a corporate setting, negotiating commercial contracts and um, transactions. And I knew this because I had had this awesome opportunity to work for the Coca-Cola company um, doing that type of work. And it had changed my mindset about, you know, how global companies work and how you're able to get in and do work that matters for the top line, bottom line of the company. And so I was, you know, trying to figure out a way to get into that. And, I, and the traditional route would have been that I would have needed to go to a law firm and get, you know, three to four or five years experience and then make that transition. Well, nobody was really looking to hire attorneys in the contract space at the time that I graduated. And so one of my mentors had talked to me about um, taking a non-traditional route and doing procurement type work um, to gain that experience and to leverage that to make the transition. And so I remember clear as day, my mom saying, well, you know, CenturyLink is a Fortune 500 company. Um, you should apply. And me being like, there are what? First of all, I didn't know that. Second of all, I don't want to come home. <laughs> like, it's just not what I want to do. How can I make this huge impact or impact the entire world from Monroe? Like, I just felt like I needed to be in such a bigger market, right? And so I applied. And of course, I got the job and was hired with the company. And um, upon moving home, I was like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to be able to fulfill this burning desire that I have, what I now like to call sacred dreams based on this book that I've read. Um, by Dr. Taraji um, Trent, how am I going to fulfill this sacred dream from Monroe? And um, it was kind of looking back over my life at the impacts that people have had on me, 
how it kept me on the right path. People like Miss Louisiana, other people who came and spoke to me that helped me to think about things that I would have never known, um, how that impacted me to go into government at the state, local and federal level. And then also what I would have done differently had I known more about areas like STEM and how that could have helped me in the industry that I ultimately ended up going into. And so More Than Pretty Campaign was birthed from that idea. It's like, okay, how can we create a pipeline of diversity specifically for African-American women and girls to help them to foster what it takes to shift uh, how we view female leadership around the globe? Um, And so I decided to birth More Than Pretty Campaign. And what we do is twofold. One part of it is that we had talks and conversations with uh, young girls starting at fourth grade about the importance of corporate leadership, uh, being a government leader, uh, being a community activist, and then going into areas of STEM. And so we have conversations with them. We have um, fun activities like the Girl Boss Extravaganza, which is an opportunity for them to come in and get, you know, kind of a camp feel where they are interacting with um, people who are like African-American pilots, um, female pilots, female engineers, female radio hosts, and getting to do these interactive things like making paper with an engineer, um, hosting their own radio show, um, riding in these simulated airplanes so that they can see it, believe it, and then dream bigger for themselves and go after those dreams. And so it's been really fulfilling. And I feel like that's how I'm being able to make my mark and it's my calling and what I've been called here to do. And then on the other hand, what we do is networking for women like myself who are already in the pipeline, but looking to continue to level up and grow within their organization or outside of their organization, but need that support system um, of women who are on that same path and are like-minded in that way to grow them. So we do networking events or fundraisers together where we are, you know, working collaboratively to make change. And so that's pretty much what it's all about. So far, we've had an opportunity to network with, form partnerships rather, with over 10 schools in Monroe, and it's growing beyond this city. Um, And then we've had the opportunity to probably touch about 800 women and children so far Um, with our services. And so I'm excited about what the future holds. I see this more than pretty campaign as something that's going to grow into a national and then global type deal where we're hosting these huge conferences and giving away scholarships and forming these um, different organizations for, for, for the betterment of the world. So I'm excited about that. I, I can truly say this, Candace. We've we 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 talk to some amazing people all the time, and I so love uh, the enthusiasm and the power that you are bringing to our conversation. And I'm truly humbled, and I thank you for being part of um, uh, the podcast. So thank you, just personally. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been fun. It's been awesome to know each of you and to be able. To, I'm just I love the work that you all are doing as well, and I think it. Um, takes a a huge level of empathy to look at the current state of the world and where it is and say, okay, here's how we can uh, play our part. And, you know, so I think that this entire series about Black voices mattering is so relevant and so important. And it goes toward um, one of the things that I've been having conversations a lot with people about is like, look, 
Um, how we make our impact should be based on our giftings. A lot of people feel like if you're not protesting and on the front lines and out in the middle of the streets that you're not doing your part when really for each of us, it's utilizing the gifts and the talents that we already have to make that difference. So for me, it's okay. I know that I have a way with storytelling and writing and that I have the critical thinking skills to be able to persuade people through my law degree. How do I tie that together and have those conversations? Um, things like speaking engagements and being on podcasts and giving people practical tips. And for you all, I think it's using um, technology and your own um, giftings to be able to, to, to make a difference. So I think that's awesome. And I'm, I'm just happy to be a part of this. Oh, well, thank you. That means the world. And yeah, that it, it's, that's such a great point that I think everyone should, you know, really take to heart is, do do what you're good at, right? Like we don't have to come up with new grandiose ways of helping or giving back. It's like figure out what you can do and do it. And I just I love I love what you're doing because it, it does the the more than pretty campaign really translates to a lot of the things that we have been trying to um to to help organizations understand is that people will not come to work for you unless they can see themselves in your organization. And so what you're doing with helping these young girls and these women see themselves in people who have paved the way and who are doing anything, anything they want. It's, it's, it's the same concept. And I think that's just really powerful. And, and I think the fact that you're, you're doing this for, for younger girls will just make our future better and brighter because they're able to see that they can do anything from such an early age. I think it's just amazing. So thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, this has been wonderful. Um, Candace, as always, let us know how we can help you. We talked about renting an RV and road tripping down to see you in Monroe. So keep that in mind. Um, but we can't thank you enough. Thank you to the audience for always tuning in. Chooseinclusion.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Um, and we're going to keep coming at you. So thank you all very much. Thank, thank you, Candace. Thank you. And thanks, everyone else. Thank you.